You can do so much with gallons of mayonnaise. What is it, like 10 gallons of mayo? It's something it's really ridiculous. It's ridiculous amount, yeah. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm joined by the Lady May, who's an amazing artist and a player in Unbound, an all-female D&D adventure streaming live on Twitch. If you'd like to support the podcast and fun new monsters, bonus episodes, downloadable recipes, and adventure modules, head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. As I said in the intro, very excited to be joining me at the Dungeons and Dinners table, the Lady May. Welcome to the show. Ah, thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely excited. I've seen a, a little bit of your content. You uh, are a player on the um, oh no, I have it. The Unbound campaign. Sorry, there's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, streaming on Twitch, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's... and so what's that like? It, it's a really intriguing cast, and it looks like you guys are fairly deep into the middle of a campaign. So, for the uninitiated, who is Lady May? Uh, well, the Lady May is uh, most often these days a tabletop player and usually known uh, to be on my friend's channel, Stella Luna, who uh, is the Unbound DM and, and showrunner for that. And yeah, it's if we uh, film this coming week, we're at 20 episodes in. Uh, so we're. I think my second, yeah, it's my second longest, I think, show, like, streamed campaign oh, okay. so right. far. Oh, okay, nice. So. What's your uh, longest? Uh, 30. 30? Nice, nice. So and uh, is that a, so you've, obviously, you're streaming, you've streamed a couple of campaigns now, uh, is, what's kind of your longest session? Like, uh, do you have any campaigns that exceed your streaming campaigns in length? Yes, uh, so so far, uh, the the Twitch side of things has yet to catch up in the in the length of of uh, those ones. I've had two campaigns go over two years, wow, uh, and one just shy of two years. That's uh that's significantly more than the majority of my experiences. <laughs> so congratulations <laughs> on getting to play long form campaigns. That's a that's a big win. <laughs> Yeah, I I fully recognize how rare that is. Yeah. (laughs) I've had, I think I've been in two that have lasted longer than like six months. And I'm not sure if both of them went over a year. It's a long time ago, though. That's that's in the olden days of my campaigning. So so with that, uh, have they all been 5e or how long have you been into TTRPGs? Uh, I started right before 4 came out. So I started my very first uh, was 3.5. Uh, my character lasted exactly one session, died in a TPK. <laughs> yep. So great experience. As a lot of 3.5 <laughs> campaigns do. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then 4E came out, I think, like a few months into that. And then a few years into, into 4E. Uh, and then I've done... My big ones were in uh, Pathfinder and uh, Bessem 3rd Edition. So nice. Anime. One. Yep, BESM. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, 5e came out 2015-ish. It, it feels like it came out just like a year or two ago, but it's been out for a while now, and I stopped <laughs> counting <laughs> years. <laughs> 
I, I played like a couple things when it first came out and then there was like a pretty big gap and then it really ramped up when friends were like, hey, I've got friends on Twitch. Do you want to do it? I'm like, okay, sure. And then I've just never stopped doing it. So most of the time it's been 5e. Nice, nice. So, I mean, that was going to be part of my next question is what got you to take the dive into Twitch? Well, Twitch in general, um, I've been on Twitch since 2014. Yeah, you originally did like a lot of uh, acrylic painting stuff, right? Yes. Nice. Viewers won't be able to see this, but. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so is all of that yours? Yes. Oh, wow. See, I had seen a, a couple of your landscape works. Um that you've had in your either your Twitter or you know what is left over in kind of the background on Twitch, mm -hmm. but wow, you're do you have an, an Instagram account or anything additionally that you share your artwork yeah. on? Everything's the the same, the Lady May everywhere. <laughs> Convenient. Okay, so well, yeah. you'll be grabbing at least one more Insta follower, and we'll have links in the <laughs> description for everybody else. Her work is incredible. The uh, the Iron Man Tony Stark in the background mm -hmm. there, pretty great. Um, there's a lot of bits that people will probably recognize. So, and a lot of originals as well. So no, that's awesome. So, so you got your start doing acrylic painting on Twitch? Yeah. Uh, I'm part of the, the OG creative crowd, uh, nice. when creative, uh, first launched, uh, 20, that's 2015. I remember that. And then, uh, yeah, so <laughs> painted a lot mostly and Twitch kind of gave creative a bit of the boot. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've been stifling everywhere they can on that one. It seems got an idea. We'll stop it. <laughs> but so, so then you kind of changed over from doing that to doing more TTRPG related stuff. Mm -hmm. Pretty much like uh, the reason why I've been still around Twitch has been because of tabletop RPGs and, making friends and connections and then just always being on their channels <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing instead wrong with of that. my own. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts of rekindling your own channel? Uh, we've got plans in the works. Okay. Uh, ETA, who knows? <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, I feel that one. I've got a few projects of my own that I'm like, boy, I sure would love to share, but I can't guarantee that this will ever happen. So, <laughs> Yeah, it, time just moves so fast because now it's just like, what, it's past the middle of may already mm -hmm. like i i can't keep yeah it's still supposed to be like maybe january february is about where my progress is <laughs> of 2020 right not 2020 yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um so long time player and including some some off dnd stuff as well which i i love to see uh i've not gotten to participate in as much i'm familiar with a lot um i think i totally devoured the big eye small mouth rule book um god i probably before i was even out of high school so like <laughs> 2001 2002 um i was just enamored by it and i was like you could do anything with this i don't think i knew i knew one other person because i borrowed it from them but they never ran a game and uh so i never got to play that but as a as kind of a long time ttrpg player do you have any uh, kind of archetypes or classes or maybe even TV tropes or cliches that you lean into or do you kind of sample a little bit of everything? Uh, I, I try and be a bit across the board with things. Uh, however, I have a lot of characters who kind of tend to be uh, coined as murder trucks. Uh, <laughs> slow and steady and just hit real hard. <laughs> 
That's fair. <laughs> Every party needs one, though. True. Everybody needs a tank or a murder truck. So, <laughs> um, do you? And it sounds like, uh, at least from some of the things that I've seen, you're often on the player side of the table. Do you ever dabble in DMing? Uh, I've done some one shots here and there. Uh, I've only done one thing that's been streamed. And that one I don't really count as as uh, DMing or GMing because it's very light on on the prep side and a running side. You're just kind of facilitating, and that's good society. It's a Jane Austen uh, tabletop. Okay. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like D and D and stuff, I've only done one shots. Eventually, I'll I'll get there. But uh, right now, I enjoy being in the the player seat for now. No, that's for sure. That's for sure. I th- I find that a lot of people there's some. There's, I guess it's kind of obvious that you're either, you know, a, a GM, a player, or somebody that switches between. But I find that people that switch between are kind of rare. I've tried to and always find myself back in the creative side. Like, the world building is just what I love. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of hard to... In D&D, anyway, it's hard to world build as a player. Um, there are some systems that offer a little bit of that control back to the players, but in D&D, not, not as much. Oh, I love world building. <laughs> what kind of world building do you like to do? You like hard fantasy, sci-fi? I mean, it, it shows, again, the players can't see. If you go to our Instagram account or deep in Twitter, you'll be able to see. But you you seem to have a pretty varied interest in in your your tastes. So do you have a preference? Uh, I would say when I'm generally world building, uh, it's mostly mostly fantasy. Uh, that's more of my, my roots, uh, I would say. But like... I've probably spent my entire education to world build fantasy worlds. <laughs> like my my university degree is in classical civilizations with uh, Greek oh. and Roman history, language, and in culture. That's awesome uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, like if I'm not streaming or anything in front of a mic or a camera, or I'm not painting, I'm usually world building. No, that's great. So so I mean, do you take that into because without driving in the gm seat as much are you publishing things or have you kind of dove into that side of the world yet uh aiming to uh i have been working on kind of like a multifaceted project uh which includes a setting and a bunch of other uh other components so eventually it's just finding that motivation (laughs) yeah (laughs) ways to break that procrastination (laughs) Yeah, I've I've not definitely not been reading any self help books lately at all on that. That's I've never go there. <laughs> it's it's a hard one. It, it's a difficult one to crack. I actually really have enjoyed the War of Art. Um, it's a little bit more aggressive style than I generally go for, but it's also written in almost like a Psalms format. Like they're very very short, like one page chapters, so you can read just like one thing about overcoming. Like finding the artistic muse and overcoming, so you get kind of the the booster shot of motivation to like, hey, now I feel jazzed up to go do something, and it's like, okay, quit reading and do it. Not, <laughs> it I don't need to read six books to to paint one painting. <laughs> but I get that it's it's very difficult to to kind of push yourself, and I would wager a guess that you're looking at doing all of your own art as well, uh, or at least a good chunk of it, which puts a lot more onus on you. Yeah, I. Yeah, I'm I'm in that seat where I'm wearing too many hats. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. like I know how to do all the different components. Do I have time to do all the different components? Right. Yeah. 
Not necessarily. <laughs> but do you have the money to hire out everybody else to do those components for you? Nope. <laughs> yep. yep, right there with you. I don't know how to do many of my components, and I'm, I'm getting to learn a lot of them on the fly. <laughs> it's one way to do it. Just yep. jump in head first, That's, figure it I, out. About the only way I found is kind of trial by fire. As, as Learning as a chef is about the only way you do it. You can go to culinary school, but even there, they just like, we're just going to set you up in front of a stove and we're going to have at it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of culinary interests, it wouldn't be Dungeons and Dinners without some sort of mention of food. So are you a foodie at all? I do enjoy my food. Yes. <laughs> so do you have a, a particular flavor or style or a dietary restriction that you take some way or another? Uh, well, I've always grown up with a lot of food uh, insensitivities and stuff like that. Uh, so I do always have to kind of watch what I eat in that respect. Uh, I would say probably one of my most favorite things ever uh, would be Vietnamese uh, chicken curry. Okay, nice. I, uh, I, Vietnamese is something that I I don't get to have as much like traditional Vietnamese as I would like to. There's still a lot of flavors in there that I would like to sample, but uh, there are a lot of uh, Vietnamese inspired dishes in the in the area that we're at that are kind of colloquially called Chinese because they won't sell otherwise, but uh, but they're still pretty good. So so that's a that's an awesome choice there. Um, I get it with uh, food restrictions. I can be uh, there's a few things that I'm a little little testy about, so it makes certain recipes difficult to to manage and, and finding workarounds for things. Um, do you find that you do a lot of cooking on your own or do you prefer if somebody else cooks for you? Uh, I, when it's just like me day to day, I have like no patience to cook whatsoever. So my fiance takes the day to day, <laughs> but like I have no problem cooking multi-course meals if it's an occasion. <laughs> okay, nice. I mean, I, I'm kind of this, as coming from a long cook background, day to day cooking is about, yeah, no, no time for that. If I can microwave it, like leftovers is about as fancy as it'll get. Otherwise, it's bachelor chow. Like if it's just if I'm not impressing anyone, then it is not an impressive dish. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> so but it is I do also agree. It's something about having a few other people there or just a special occasion or something. I don't know if it's because I really like showing off or if it's just, I, I think that honestly I like other people enjoying the moment. Mm -hmm. And so like building that kind of experience is really what, what drives me when other people are there, but I'm not going to build that. I'm not going to spend an hour and a half making something for myself. That's not happening. <laughs> if I can get bread or, you know, some kind of jelly and or paste of, of nuts <laughs> of some kind, then <laughs> we're done. <laughs> So um, when you do find yourself cooking uh, a lavish multi-course meal, what uh, what are you going to serve to impress the guests? Uh, well, most often, one of the things I actually miss about uh, pre-COVID times uh, was my IRL gaming group mm -hmm. uh, that would come uh, every other week. So well, we would start pretty much as everyone would get off work. So obviously they hadn't eaten anything. Uh, so every other week we had game, I'd, I'd cook a dinner, uh, for that. And, uh, I'd pretty much set up my desk as like buffet style kind of thing. Yep. Um, but yeah, like we've done various fajitas and tacos and various pasta dishes. Uh, we've done, uh, sous vide, uh, roast. 
Ooh. Uh, with like garlic mashed potatoes and, and uh, mushroom gravy and stuff like that. And, yeah, and, and usually if there's someone has an allergy or something like that, I usually try and make sure they have their own separate separate thing. Right. It's uh, I mean, that's definitely kind of where a lot of this came from is uh, our game nights were about half cooking and or eating and then maybe like we didn't take break so much as like Mm -hmm. this just might be the end of the session because it's going to be an hour in the kitchen and then another probably 40 minutes to eat so (laughs) we might come back if there's a a battle to finish off or something we can do that but story might have to wait till after the food coma so (laughs) um What's the uh, first thing that you remember about learning how to cook, or where did you pick up cooking as a skill? Probably my first memories of, I guess, maybe needing to cook or wanting slash need was probably like brownies, girl guide badges. Fair, fair. <laughs> to get the badge. <laughs> so I was probably like anywhere from, I think brownies was like eight to ten yeah, as you say then, brownies is the pre it's like then, cub scout kind of thing isn't it yeah yeah and then okay. yeah guides are i think 11 12 i think like that so i had to do it <laughs> twice because there's different sets of badges for both oh yep yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you were were you taking much of that home to to help make snacks around the house or uh was it was, just a badge thing <laughs> i was often like well pretty much like what to get like the badge and stuff like that it was like it would often be like my grandma would help me out and stuff like that. So like we'd be making cakes or whatever to to do that and stuff. So you know, and I guess I'd help out for holidays and special occasions. So that's probably where my carryover as an adult, where I only cook <laughs> on special occasions. <laughs> that's fair. Um. So, uh, was your grandmother like your primary influence in teaching you cooking or did you branch out and find something kind of later on in life that really inspired you? Cause it seems like you have a pretty good knowledge and variety of dishes. So like, where'd you pick that up? Uh, I would say like my grandma likes to try different things. She always says, uh, she uses us as her like Guinea pigs in a way. Cause she'll find a recipe. And she's like, I don't know if it's going to taste good. <laughs> so so feed, the, feed it to the grandkids. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be fine. Uh, my my dad did a lot of cooking and stuff like that because uh, he worked from home when I was little. So he learned to cook and stuff like that. So uh, he was always cooking stuff. And I don't know why he can't make banana bread, but whenever he tries <laughs> to make banana bread, it doesn't go well. Uh, so I try to make the banana bread for him uh, when I have the opportunity. And then I would guess like one of my first major relationships, I guess, uh, in starting in university, you know, we're adults living on our own for the first time and stuff like that. And, you know, we just got really interested in various cuisines and dishes and yeah, learned a lot from from the Food Network channel. <laughs> hey, there's nothing. I have learned more about baking from the Great British Bake Off than I ever had anywhere else in my life. So there's no, no shame in that at all. Because <laughs> I think, oh, it's... It's Michael Smith, isn't it? If I'm remembering his name correctly, he's a Canadian chef out on the East Coast. Yeah, because he had a sh- uh, chef show on the on the Food Channel, uh, Chef at Home. And what I really really liked about his channel was that he didn't 
have a recipe. Like he didn't start an episode be like, okay, today we're making this and here's, you know, the recipe. He's like, let's see what I have in the fridge and pantry. And he would go over, you know, what items he would have on hand and then what flavors and combinations would go with that. So I felt like that was like really helpful. No, that is great. It's one of the things that I've thought about in so many different like cookbooks and things is that they tell you just a very specific recipe. Mm -hmm. They don't tell you alterations, substitutions. Sometimes like you'll get the like hamburger helper on the back, like add peas, question mark. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe try it. Like, but you don't get anything that's like how to deal with a kitchen that's half stocked or just trying to figure out how can you make something that's nice, you know, when you have are limited on ingredients. And I think that shows like that are a great way and a great example of like, let's work outside of the norms of a strict recipe and I, I learned a lot of cooking from approximation. Like I almost never measure anything because in a fast paced kitchen, you don't have time. Yes. And growing up, my parents just knew who, what they wanted to cook. So they didn't measure. And so I learned unless baking, baking is the only time I measure anything. But outside of that, it's just like you add it until it tastes right. Yeah. And and I think that was a that was a really good gift because you have to focus on the actual flavor of something. And I, I actually got over a lot of my, there was, I was a way pickier eater before I was a chef. I'm still a pretty picky eater. And, but I was forced to, my chef would be like, well, are you allergic to this, this, or this? I'm like, no, I just don't like it. He's like, fine, but you have to know what it tastes like so that the customers get it right every time. So, like, I don't care if you don't like it. You don't have to swallow it. You have to bite into it. You have to see if it's done. You have to swish it or taste it or whatever. And he's like, and I'll put, you could put a trash can here. I don't care. But, like, learning how to taste food was something that I, I didn't realize was a skill. Like, it's not something that you think about doing a lot. So you you pick up a lot of your cooking knowledge in college and it seems like you're picking up a lot of your the skills that become your TTRPG kind of foundation um with so much of a, a focus on like classical history do you are you really leveraging that like heavily or are you just leaning on it for more of a kind of a foundation for ideas uh definitely a foundation uh one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to well, I've always loved history in general, but one of the reasons of going into and really dissecting it in an academic way is you get to see the overarching trends and how things are built and established. So you get to see that foundation uh, of real civilizations and how cultures in that develop. Uh, so in the tabletop side, if like if it's a setting I'm working on or a character background and stuff like that, I feel like I have a solid framework of like okay you know naming conventions uh what would my character what would their name be what kind of background what would that entail kind of thing uh i kind of like that cohesion and, and consistency uh in types of things uh instead of you know random things put together and then smushed <laughs> 
I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible at it. So I'm, I'm definitely a fan of like take two names and smush them together and then cut some letters out. So it doesn't look like you just smush two names together, but I could definitely respect somebody that is putting a little bit more effort into it. Well, and, and, you know, that's, you know, it, it's a valid strategy too, but it's like the way my brain, I guess, works. I like to have a reason for something. Like there has to be a purpose. Uh, be it from my, my my own needs or or whatever uh, i would like to have that little nugget of history that it for me it just makes a character or a world feel more lived in uh and it at least in in my my side of things it helps me put into perspective of how i want to play a character uh as well i have more of a a sound footing for it no that so are you like and just to get a little bit better idea of this, because to me, it almost sounds like it, it would be a great reminder for the feel of a character. Um, are you using like translated words as like that also sound good as names as a reminder of the character? Or is it more of kind of ethereal sense? Uh, it depends on on what I'm doing. I often have on hand uh, Greek and, and Latin dictionaries just from back from <laughs> my degree just have uh, them laying around i like just you have do. them laying around <laughs> you know then again i'm sure that it's not too rare of an occurrence to have like D D and then just latin roots like next to each other i don't think they're gonna be too far off base on that one <laughs> at least i'm consistent right uh, yeah like and i also have like a book that has um a bunch of names based on various, uh, if they're Greek or Latin, Anglo-Saxon, German, uh, Slavic base, and just kind of play around with that. That's awesome. It's a, a, a little bit of a step ahead of the fantasy name generator. Um, <laughs> no knocks to it. It's coming no, pretty it's handy. Very but <laughs> it's a good It's a good starting point sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or NPCs. NPCs, yes. it's a godsend. <laughs> <laughs> No need to stop the game to start flipping through a book. I'm there. Nobody's going to come back. Of course, the one that I think nobody's coming back to this one. So their Dugaldorf is now the the star of every <laughs> session. <laughs> so, um, as a somebody that's gotten into a lot of uh, longer campaigns, uh, what's the so we've gone over kind of the length of the campaign, but we haven't gotten to a lot of details. What's your highest level character? Have you gotten into any of the epic level gameplay? Uh, for both the Pathfinder and uh, the 4E, I've gone through all the levels from wow start to finish. I've I don't think I've ever even seen outside of like a YouTube let's make a superhero. I don't think I've seen an actual level twenty like character sheet. <laughs> yeah, for for five E. For like continuous uh, from like starting at level one and, and going up, I think I'm the highest right now is my unbound character and she's level seven, I think. She's level seven. The highest I've gone in like a one shot character is level 10 uh, for 5e. Nice. So I have yet to get up in the uppers, but for 4e, 4e went to level 30. Right. That's right. Uh, they, they went full epic level. Yeah, they, it was, they kind of included the epic level stuff from three five into four. Yeah, because it was like uh, heroic, paragon, and then the epic. Mm-hmm. 
So kind of back on Unbound, would you mind kind of talking about Unbound for a little bit? It uh, it's it looks great. I like I said, I've seen a little bit of it. I haven't. I need to go start from the beginning now, because um, <laughs> now I feel like I may have ruined some stuff. But it appears to be, uh, at least you know, correct me if I'm wrong. All female female cast, which I think is amazing. I absolutely love seeing more of that in the space. And uh, yeah, you guys, like I said, as far as what I saw, you said about level seven, you seem to be hitting that kind of mid-level stride. But uh, please give some more information on Unbound. Uh, Unbound is an uncaged anthology, uh, original campaign. Uh, and uncaged anthology is a series of uh, adventures written that subvert tropes of like women in mythology. So, you know, Medusa is a good person in this case. You know, one of nice. our adventures, you know, we went and helped her. Uh, so it's all kind of like, because a lot of mythological uh, figures, women especially, are not portrayed very nicely. So nope. it's it's not easy to change that. <laughs> nope. But the fact that we are allowed to like have the ability to through something like a TTRPG, I think, is a really good avenue to take it. Because I think there's some fantasy novels and stuff that have tried to take that route, but not a lot of other mainstream media has really tried to tackle some of the more patriarchal elements of mythological history. Yeah. Yeah. And so like the, the Uncaged Anthology stuff, the adventures have been really great. And Stella, the, the DM, uh, she's just been absolutely masterful weaving our own story in through these adventures and it's all female cast uh most of the the cast are champions of hakate the goddess of magic uh who went missing and they're trying to pretty much find where she went and and go save her uh i joined uh episode five so i wasn't at the very very start my character jumped in later on as a little uh mortal chef she was a little chef uh my my weapons uh, are actual cook's utensils. Uh, she's got a meat skewer, uh, the cast iron fry pan, and uh, she's got the chef's knife and a paring knife. Those are her <laughs> her actual physical <laughs> weapons. You need a you need to get a pair of tongs that you got to clack twice to mm. activate. Like that's got to you, you've always got to test the tongs before you use them. <laughs> so as a so what's your so I assume chef is kind of the a skill profession in there and, and a history. What's your uh, race and class? You said, was it halfling? Yeah, she's halfling. Uh, the chef bit, uh, I'm two levels in that now. It's a scholar class. Uh, it's available oh, on okay. DM skills. It's a third party class. Nice. It's a scholar. And uh, culinarian is one of the subclasses for it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so I need to go find this immediately oh, yeah. then. <laughs> I'll send you the link to it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, for the scholar, you can be a chef, you can be uh, a physician or like a tactician kind of thing. It's 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 a really fun class. It's really neat. Uh, uh, through the events of the game, uh, we play with the the deck of many cards, yep. uh, which the cast uh, have experienced quite a lot of. Yep. And through those cards, uh, my character is now multi-classed in as a cleric of the Twilight Domain. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Which is also kind of fitting a Fakate being kind of moon in there. So that's uh, I appreciate that. Um, I, I did. And I did kind of want to bring up the, the Twitch stream is actually pretty interactive with the audience mm -hmm. where there's there's donation rewards and bits rewards to either help the DM or the players. Um, do you find that 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 pro benefits one more than the other without too many spoilers? <laughs> uh, no. 
Uh, I, I would say Stella's probably at a disadvantage because she'd never remember she has <laughs> not 20s or blessings, which you get advantage for. Uh, she often doesn't remember she has those, uh, which is great for us. <laughs> she remembered last week, though. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> But I do, I do love, and so again, the, it seems, especially in the the more recent episode, that there's actually a fair amount of the fan interaction, kind of, which is interesting to balance. I think I've seen it's difficult because you want to stay in the world, so you, you can't do a whole lot of the like, "Hey, thanks for joining us back in chat," you know, X username Y, and and some of that because you don't want to break the feel, but allowing some ways for the viewers to get a little bit of a choose your own adventure feel. I've seen a couple groups start to try to go that route or, you know, some maybe Twitter polls and things like that that can help steer the campaign. But a really alive interaction like that, I think is just a great way of handling something like, I feel like a lot of other campaigns you could watch on YouTube or as a podcast and get most of the same feel. Mm -hmm. But being live on Twitch means that you can't, like the whole point of Twitch is chat. Yeah. So leveraging that and using that in a way that can benefit the campaign, I think, is a really novel idea. So very interested in that. Yeah, the the way that she runs uh, her channel is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and it's like it's helping isn't always, you know, just through monetary means. Uh, you can use like the channel points to add blessings, which is like the advantage rolls, uh, retweets on the Twitter for like our going live posts. Uh, certain milestones ends up uh getting a wild magic surge uh, happening uh, at some point. Uh, we have a, <laughs> DM the, discretion. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the the monetary ones uh, often are the, the deck of many cards because those are big, big game changers most often. <laughs> right. And so is that is that like a straight deck of many things or is that like a modified using... Uh, she's like modif- external source. She's modified them a little. Uh, she has like the actual deck of many uh, tarot deck. Uh, she has removed some of them and then altered a, a little bit. Because uh, there's of the some others. pretty disasterful stuff in a deck of many things that can really ruin even a high level player's game. It's just done. <laughs> so I was kind of curious how brutal those were getting. <laughs> so far, not too 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 awful. Uh, for some reason, I end up getting the ruin card. So if I don't have anything magical on me, I lose. <laughs> <laughs> and this has happened to me on uh, not just on Bound, but it's happened to me in other one shots of hers that has the deck of many. <laughs> Good lord! <laughs> it's, it's, it's become a thing. It's after me. It, 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 no cursed dice is one thing, but a cursed deck of many is like. <laughs> There's already few enough boons in there as it is. <laughs> so um, this this being so Twitch being kind of like your current endeavor, um, the cast on there is absolutely great. Like I said, I've, I'm I now need to go back and start over because I seeing some of it, I like had to stop myself. It was like, I can't right now. I'm going to ruin something and I don't know what I'm going to ruin. So <laughs> I need to go start over. Um, but is there, so on top of kind of the mythological foundation, do you guys have, while it is branching kind of adventure to adventure, it seems like you guys are keeping a continuous story arc though, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. 
So you've got recurring characters and things kind of popping back in. So it's not just strung together one shots or anything like that. So Yeah, like she she's weaved everything in so it makes sense for what our overall arcing uh, progress is. Nice, nice. And so level seven there, um, hopefully. Is is the chef like any part magic user or what are what are some of the class abilities of a chef profession? Uh <laughs> I would say probably one of my favorite things about the chef class is I basically have a Mary Poppins bag. Uh, that's what I call it. You, ba- It's basically like a bag of holding in a way, but like I can carry all my food ingredients and, and stuff in this bag that to me only like weighs like 10 pounds, but I can carry, I think like 140 pounds at this point, nice. which is hilarious because my halfling is not even three feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but some of the other cool things that you can do uh, with the chef class, uh, you can harvest. So like if you finish a combat with like a creature or whatever, you can actually harvest various ingredients and stuff like that. Nice. And then cooking with monster meat, cooking with monster meat. And then uh, depending on the monster stats and the like DM discretion, you can then another ability use those ingredients and make meals. And then depending on what you've made might give like, resistances or bonus or whatever for x amount of time for whoever eats it that so it's it's definitely more like support kind of class yeah uh but it's i actually really like support classes like i i I, there's dreams of having some great powerful wizard or whatever but that's just a lot to manage and and i like classes that can balance things out like a little bit of batman tool belt but a little bit of kind of, hey, we're like, it's just a good way to help keep something cohesive. Like we're to keep everybody hanging out because everybody needs everybody else. <laughs> so um, it, it there's there's a lot of attempts that I think other DMs or other creatives or other makers have made at utilizing monster ingredients in something whether it be potion making or you know artificing or cooking but i think a lot of them tend to be very rigid and i think doing something like basing it off the stats of the monster makes it a a lot easier to say like oh if it's a, a frost spider and you cook up frost spider legs, then you've got, you know, a chance at getting frost resistance or something mm-hmm. like that. And so I think that's a, or, you know, cold damage for a while. The very, a much sim- more simplified, but also more flexible rule system, I think is way better than trying to have a monster manual of cooking. <laughs> I don't need to know what recipes I could make with illithids. So. <laughs> I just need to know they're going to be good. <laughs> Um, so generally, um, is the campaign more, uh, rules as written, like a more raw campaign, or do you find it it being more homebrewed? Uh, I haven't read through the ink uncaged anthology, so I'm, I don't know how close she's sticking to those, but like all the overarching stuff, like that's all, that's all Stella. That's all homebrew. Okay, nice. Yeah, as as far as yeah, I I figured that maybe the story you may not be as aware of, but as far as like rules and things like that, you guys are a little bit. I mean, obviously you're using Twitch for some things, so there's some quote unquote homebrew there of of some sort. Um, but yeah, so you, you see a lot of other homebrew elements cropping up in her game style. Here, here and there, like uh, again, she's more 
rule of cool. Like, yeah. obviously, if it's not like absolutely breaking, breaking. Right. Uh, but, you know, she'll always bend things slightly if it's like, yeah, no, that's awesome. Let's do this. Instead of like, you know, in this rule, it says you can only be like this and then go over here. And it's like, I don't know. And it's like, no, no, no don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, rule of cool is my kind of game. I could <laughs> never, I could never get down in the Adventures League. Because it's just it's too rigid, it's too stringent, and and even even in a flexible game, it's still like ah. But it would have been so awesome if you just let it happen. <laughs> let me jump the five extra feet. <laughs> um, is there any? Oh no, go ahead. I was to say like uh, one of my favorite things that she let me do. So since I was a chef, and I was particularly. My character was particularly a bit bitter against this one character that we're going to be coming across. So I made hot chili oil and then she let me douse my <laughs> knife with it and do extra spice damage. <laughs> yeah. I think that would hurt. <laughs> right? It would. I like, like I'm going to coat my blade in salt and lemon juice. Like, yeah. Yeah. You get extra damage because damage like hit points are not stamina. Yeah. Like, it, they've never been that. They've never been a... Fi- I mean, I guess some games, yes. But it's never, like, when you lose this many hit points, now you don't have an arm. Like, it's just... It's more... You can lose 80 hit points and not be bleeding. But I think that, you know, if you get a small nick from the salted lemon juice knife, that small nick's gonna hurt like a son of a gun. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to keep that one in mind. <laughs> Think about spicy food damage. <laughs> That's glorious. I have to have a bottle of lemon juice handy at all times. <laughs> Who needs a poisoner's kit? <laughs> my, my, my character recently, um, I think it was through a deck of money card for a magic item. Um, I got an alchemist jug. Oh no, that's like one of the most powerful things. It's like as a low level magical item, the alchemist jug is infinitely useful. You can do so much with gallons of mayonnaise. What is it like 10 gallons of mayo? It's something really it's ridiculous, ridiculous amount. Yeah. And it was, I think if I remember correctly, it was added in as a joke that like no one would ever use. They wanted an extra thing. But then on on polling later, it's like the most used oh, thing of out of the job. <laughs> if that's listed an option out of all the options, of course people are gonna use it. <laughs> right. Oh, grease it. Who needs like I can make like eight ounces of oil or ten gallons of mayo. And mayo is slickery as crap anyway. So we're just gonna dump ten <laughs> gallons of mayo in the dungeon floor. <laughs> Stairs, not a problem, Mayo. <laughs> yeah, I'm much excited to use this. <laughs> so that's a pretty recent item that you've gotten. Last then. week, yeah. Oh, man. Well, I'm looking forward to catching up and then hearing the many Mayo shenanigans. <laughs> Honey's good, too, though. Like, that's true. The, the, the great thing about the alchemy jug is they're permanent. Like, they don't, as long as you pour it out, then they just exist. So having access to large amounts. I mean, it's also just good for profit because honey becomes honey mead. And especially because now you can carry extra weight in your bag. So you can you can double up on things. Oh god. My 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 character's been known to carry is carry various jams and give various kinds of jams to NPCs. Now you can just bottle mail. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you've used the alchemy, you really needed the alchemy jug for acid, 
fine. Still got mayo. (laughs) Never a dry sandwich. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so uh, outside of Unbound, are there any other uh, places that you would like people to know more about you or to find you? Well, I guess most often uh, I'm always on Twitter. Uh, I've got my Instagram. Uh, I pop up here and there on various places on on Twitch. Uh, again, that can all be found through my Twitter. So I guess like Twitter is good hub for that. Right. <laughs> and is there? Uh, do you have any special skills or outside of a secret identity? Uh, any weird quirks that people don't normally guess about you or wouldn't normally guess about you? Hmm. Do you have a hidden superpower? I guess I'm not like I'm not too super like hidden about it, but I, I it doesn't come up too too often. Uh, I figure skated for twenty years. Oh wow, figure skating. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I I assume at that point did you what uh, like professional level were you like a semi pro or <laughs> nope? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was definitely more recreational. My my cousins okay. were in the competitive scene. Gotcha. Uh, I, I'm from the poorer side of the family, so. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of money for competitive. That's um, fair. That's those those jumpsuits don't buy themselves. So. <laughs> the coaching and the skates, it's yeah, like, it all right. adds up real fast. But yeah, like uh, ice dancing, I have my gold certification in ice dance uh, at the wow. very least. So, yeah. do you have a like a favorite track or style of music to dance to? Then, oh, I have always liked the. The tangos and the waltzes. Uh, the Westminster waltz was a lot of fun to do. Uh, I would say in terms of like outside of ice dance, but like the free skate side of it. So like the jumps and spins side. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my solo music uh, has been like movie or video game music. So like my That's last awesome. my last program uh, was uh, the theme, main theme music from uh, the Arkham Arkham Knight, the the Batman, Ooh. the second one, City was that so City? Ar- I think it's uh, now because Asylum was the first you. one, right? I think Arkham City is the second. Brain is spacing on me yeah, a bit, nope, but same. whatever the second, <laughs> the main theme of the second one. <laughs> that was my last uh, program music. Now I now I've got Ori in the Blind Forest oh, stuck in my head. That'd be that'd be a good one. If I'm ever back so on the now ice. I, now I have to ask, just because I'm sorry if this is a terrible question, but uh, can you, like, when I think ice skating, my all-time, like, heart for ice skating is Scott Hamilton, so can you do a backflip? I cannot do a backflip, unfortunately. <laughs> no. I know that that's, I can't do a backflip without ice skates, so that's, I mean, I'm not just expecting everybody that can ice skate to do a backflip, but it is, it is, Scott Hamilton was yeah. kind of a hero growing up, so. Yeah, there's a... Not too many skaters actually do backflips, uh, right. mostly because they're not allowed in competition. So they're not oh, really they're not af- actually something that gets practiced often. Oh, well, that's fair. And I guess probably makes sense. It's It really does seem like a like one of the most dangerous things. You dangerous. Can do on yep. skates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems pretty dangerous to do without skates, too. So yep. I'm not <laughs> I'm a pretty risk averse person myself. But Anything that revolve involves revolving, I'm generally out on. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to cover or talk about on the show? 
I guess uh, definitely also check out Stella Luna and uh, yes. her channel and her Discord. She's absolutely amazing because she also helps people uh, new uh, into tabletops. Uh, if they want to play or if they want to, to GM a game and they're nervous about the streaming environment, especially. Uh, she hosts uh, various things, uh, marathons and one shots that you can sign up for. And she sets everything up for you. Uh, she helps cast it for you and stuff like that. And uh, she runs tech as you either play or run a game on her channel. Wow, that is an incredible amount of resources. So that's definitely something people should check out. Um, we'll link her profile as well uh, in the show notes down there for people. And she, I believe, is on your page and the Unbound page as well in, in the links. You can surf and find her pretty easily. So... Well, again, thank you so, so much, Lady May, for coming on and sharing your experiences with us at the Dungeons & Dinners table, and uh, hopefully we'll see you around again soon. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Right. Thanks. Bye. So that's all for the episode today. Please let me know your thoughts, comments, or episode ideas. I am most active on Twitter, but all of my additional links and contact information can be found on the card website that's down in the show notes. If you're interested in supporting the show and want to get more bonus content, consider tossing some coins over to patreon.com slash Dungeons and Dinners. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, you can check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a long-form show about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend, Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.